Hey everybody, this is Sam and you're listening to The Deep End Podcast, the show that provides you with juicy relationship, sexual and personal development tips. A podcast for deep thinkers and feelers who love personal growth and want to experience a healthy relationship. Having healthy relationships with yourself and others is one of the most fulfilling things we experience as humans. That's why I'm so passionate about going deep and why I have interviewed leading experts in the field. Join me weekly for unfiltered, uncensored and unedited conversations with the most interesting humans I know. I'll meet you in the deep end. Today I have a very beautiful guest who has what I can tell a generous heart based on what I know. Um, and this person is Jerry West. So Jerry West is on a mission to help vulnerable people in our community, particularly girls and women who experience domestic violence or homelessness. She is convinced that connection can solve most of our problems. Launching Four Voices, a charity whose focus is connection, in March 2020, a week before the world shut down due to COVID-19, wasn't planned or ideal. Jo's determination to build Four Voices was fueled by the previous experience she had at Orange Sky. Her son and his best mate put two washing machines and two dryers into the back of their old van and started washing clothes for people who were homeless in Brisbane. She happily helped them out for several years as CEO, during which time she learned a lot about homelessness and the immense difference that connection can make to a person who is marginalised by the majority of the community. Four Voices delivers social and digital connection services from a bright purple van outfitted with a lot of technology and most importantly, a coffee machine. Thank you so much for joining me, Jo. Thank you for having me, Sam. Yes, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So that is a, um, that's a very heavy space to be in, in terms of like, supporting people, homelessness and domestic violence. That's a lot. Uh, I'm curious about what led you down this path other than your son washing machine, the washing machines on the back of the ute. <laughs> that, that, was kind of, that was kind of a big motivator. Mm. Um, but um, I met this lady in about 2017 who had experienced uh, long-term homelessness. So she she was a young young girl at the age of five was um, in a in a really difficult family relationship. Dad was abusive towards mum and the kids, and so her her childhood was awful. And she started running away from home, and nobody cared because nobody really took much notice of her anyway. Mum was uh, like. He, she, he was belting her up every other day and she was being given a cocktail of drugs to numb the pain that she was in. Like it was an extraordinary story. But anyway, fast forward to about the time that this lady was 19 and she found, she fell in love with this gorgeous African-American guy who was in Sydney on work. And she threw caution to the wind and thought, you know what, I'm just going to marry him and I'm going to go to America and fulfil all my dreams. So she did. So she gets to San Francisco and she finds that, yeah, her new husband has uh, been in Sydney on a, on a, on a business trip um, and he's been looking for girls, working girls. So she finds herself on the streets of San Francisco with a new husband, her new pimp and so her life kind of deteriorates as you can imagine she's she doesn't know anyone she's only knows him and she she falls into a life of prostitution and drug abuse to numb the pain of her existence and long-term homelessness so she was 28 years homeless on the streets of San Francisco with the Golden Gate Bridge as her view of the world and a piece of discarded cardboard as a bed. Now, I met her, as I said, 2017, and, you know, what happened, you know, and and uh, we talked about connection and how important it was to have this kind of face-to-face connection, and she said, well, connection came to me in a really weird way. I was diagnosed with the AIDS virus. And she said, 
I was taken into a hospice and I was nursed back to health by amazing volunteers and staff members of this hospice. And I was given a bedroom and a bed and it was the first bed I'd slept in in nearly three decades. And I started to realise that I was worth fighting for. So she's emerged to this world like after almost like being in a trance for 30 years and it's dominated by technology. She didn't know what a smartphone was, what an iPad was, what a computer was even. And she's a woman now in her early 60s and she, to her credit, has fought her way back to Brisbane. She's fought herself back into reasonable health and she's bought herself a smartphone and an iPad and is navigating her way around the wonders of the internet. And I just think she's her story is extraordinary and I was very privileged when she asked me to write her biography. And I so I've never done this before, you know, I've never done it uh, and I feel frightened that I'm going to muck it up, you know. And she said, look, if you can tell my story, even, you know, to Sam in a podcast, no, she didn't say that, but, in a, you know, in, <laughs> in a public forum, um, it might change somebody's life and that will give meaning to what's happened in mine. Oh, wow. I'm just you know, when you hear a story sometimes and it hits you and all the places, the tender places, it just feels like a very, um, it's not commonly spoken about, but I imagine this happens more often than we know. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, I, I was armed with this story when I started Four Voices and I thought, you know what, you know, I want to meet people like this because I'm at the age now where I could be sitting in a coffee shop half my life and sipping lattes, you know. But to me, that kind of experience was just amazing, you know, to meet a woman like that who has, you know, been fearless and has gone through so much. It's it's certainly giving, it's given me more meaning and it's certainly, you know, I'm, I, I think, you know, I have volunteers tell me all the time that they think they get out of it more than they put in. Uh, because of the extraordinary people that we meet on the street. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. There's I imagine this. I imagine this meeting's going to be more about me telling stories like that because they're like they come out of me like crazy. I think about all sorts of people as you ask me questions. So if you want me to stick to the script, then I will. But no. I'm I'm happy with stories. I love the stories. I love the stories so much. I actually um just read somewhere that 50% of the planet of people are still living in survival. So they're still like, there's only half of us who are like living in these privileged ways, you know? And that just baffles me that we're all in the same community. Like we're all on the same planet. We're all, you know, um, do we, we, like we don't really know what the meaning of life is and not to get too philosophical, but like how can, it, it, it there's a lot that doesn't make sense that there's this like rivalry and competitiveness and this like stealing resources or whatever all these I don't want to get too political either but like all the things that are happening around the world it just baffles me um but I imagine and I assume just based on what you've said the people on the streets would have a lot of wisdom because they've been to all the darkest of places uh, yeah, I mean, let, let, let's put this into perspective. You know, in 2016, the Australian census said that there were 116,000 people homeless in Australia. That's one in 200 of all of us are homeless on any given night. And that sort of does your head in when you think about it being, um, you know, first world country, you know, we've got what we have in this country, but yet we've got so many people who are who are struggling. Um, 56 percent of those people homeless are male and forty four percent female. So I'm not going to spout stats at you, but this one is important. So that translates to fifty one thousand girls and women homeless in Australia. And the thing that really gets to me is that two thirds of those are homeless because they've fled a domestic violence 
relationship. Can you imagine being in your own home and thinking, I'd prefer to take my chances on the streets, living in my car or in a park somewhere, sometimes maybe with your kids, than live another night with that abusive partner? And yet that's what 33,000 girls and women have done. And that's 2016 census data. And I can tell you that it's got a lot worse since then. We don't have the 2021 census data yet to, to quote, but it's during this, I reckon, you know, um, COVID has birthed a new pandemic. And I think it's called the pandemic of disconnection. Mm. Because, you know, if you think about it over the last couple of years, uh, there's not a single person, not one of us, who hasn't been touched by loneliness. And mm. all of us have been pushed to do more and more on digital devices, phones, computers. Don't talk to a human being. You've got to be socially distant. Jump on this website. Get your computer out and jump on here. And you imagine the people that have got, that are living on the streets because they've fled a domestic violence relationship and they haven't got a phone or a computer and even if they did, they probably wouldn't use them because for fear of being tracked. To, to me, that's the ultimate disconnection. And this pandemic of disconnection has really, really got worse. And you, you talk about how this can happen in a world like ours. How can, how can we spend, you know, globally, how can we spend what, however many months it was, not many, to come up with a vaccine to, in, to, to vaccinate the world against COVID, and yet we can't galvanise as a worldwide population or even as an Australian population to find a vaccine for the pandemic of disconnection or to solve relationship, sorry, um, domestic violence, poverty, homelessness. These problems are worldwide and they can be fixed if we can just harness that amazing power that was harnessed during COVID to come up with a vaccination, you know, like how hard would it be to come up with something that we could introduce globally to make us all live, you know, more it, it, with more equality, with more respect? Um, yeah, I'm hearing you. Um, one of my earliest memories is of domestic violence to some nature I just remember my biological dad like pushing my mum out of the kitchen and it's like I think that it's I don't know about generational I think it's still the the, the violence isn't just uh I guess like uh limited to physical um but it's a massive awareness piece I think and people lack the awareness to to kind of, I guess, understand the the consequences and the ripple effects of their actions, and the disconnect. I notice. I don't know if you notice, but like, I don't see anything being taught at school about relationships, about healing, about wounds, about trauma, about like, you know, kids that played up at school when I grew up were sent to detention or were disconnected from everybody else. The punishment if you do not, you know, if you don't abide by the rules is to disconnect you from society, from school, from whatever. There's like a fundamental issue here that you're speaking into yeah. that I'm equally as passionate about in my own little way, like in a different way, mm -hmm. um, but it contributes to that. The, the, the goal, I guess, what I'm hearing is like creating connection um, having experienced what you've experienced though, like and seeing it firsthand, it's it's wild. It's wild how common domestic violence has been and is. And I, I can't even imagine my grandmother's generation, like my grandfather and men men of his age were just really um barbaric. Is that yeah, like I'm not am I being judgmental? <laughs> Maybe sweeping generalization, but uh, very big yeah, generalization. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, traditional roles would 
were, were established and we're still, you know, w- women are still trying to assert their their uh, equality and um, and claw back some of the um, independence and and treatment that um, that they deserve and that they perhaps haven't been given over over generations. Mm. You know, I, I my my own story pales into insignificance compared to the incredible women I meet on the streets every day. But you know, one of the reasons why I became passionate was because my own history. Um, you know, my my history is uh, more in the workplace where I was discriminated against um, and abused and bullied and um, sexually assaulted over many, you know, like many years. And um, through all of that experience, I kept my mouth shut. You know, I was a single parent for um, maybe the last 15 years and I had to put a roof over my kids' head. I had to feed them. I had to, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other to try and make sure that I survive. So I shut my mouth and I put up with treatment that I shouldn't have put up with. And one day I woke up and I thought, you know what, I've got four kids, you know, four voices, four kids. I'm a bit fixated about the number four. And I thought, what am I telling my three sons, you know, that it's okay to mistreat a woman? That it's okay to discriminate or abuse or bully, because that's what I've—that's the role model I've become. And what am I telling my one and only daughter? You know, keep your mouth shut, honey. You know, just it'll go. It'll get better. You just got to mm. keep quiet. And I thought, oh, this is enough. This is—I was ashamed of myself when I actually put put it in that kind of perspective. And I thought, you know, I can do something about this. I don't want any other girl or woman to get to my age before she can find her voice. And I think that's what I have claimed myself. You know, I don't care now who I say to whom or, you know, don't watch, you know, if I've got an opinion, I'll vocalise it and I don't, and I won't stand for being mistreated. But I did for decades. And I think, um, you know, we all, we all have the, we all have legitimate reasons, you know, there's, you know, we don't leave toxic relationships because, you know, we've got kids that we share and, you know, the kids have got to have a mum and a dad and we've got, to, we've got bills to pay and we've got to have some semblance of family. And, and I think that we all delude ourselves by saying that and don't recognise when relationships are toxic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I see people every day that say, oh, no, He's not, it's not domestic violence, you know, like, yes, all right, well, you know, he kind of criticises me and and abuses me, but he does, he's never physical. I go, he never hits me. Or, um, yeah, well, it, it got pretty rough there last week and, yeah, I do have a couple of bruises, but, you know, he the next day he was apologetic and he said he loved me and you hear that stuff all the time and you think, you know, people, there's not there's not a real solid understanding of the types of domestic violence that 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 coercive control you know, can come in many forms. It doesn't have to be physical. In fact, some women say to me, you know, I'd really prefer to have the bruises because they heal. The, yes. the psychological and emotional stuff doesn't. Yeah, I'm hearing you in that. I had a, a partner, a boyfriend in my early 20s whose mother was killed in domestic violence. And um, have you heard of Yaya Next Door? What? In it's, what context? It's like, it's like an Instagram page. So basically they, yeah, it's a long story. It's really tragic. They have raised awareness for domestic violence as well. But, like, um, yeah. There was a, a great grandmother next door who was just handing food over the, the fence to help the boys who had just lost their mother to their father, so they lost their father as well. Um, and it became this thing. So it's, like, similar to, to uh, I guess, raising awareness around that. And just, you know, witnessing him in that and being I, – I started dating him six months after it happened, and it was um, – I didn't have the tools then to really know how to navigate that and, and be there for him in, in ways that I think he needed, but I did my best. And 
um yeah it's tragic it's it's where it can go it's where it can lead you know a crime of passion mm-hmm. is tra- is absolutely terrifying the the details of 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 her passing are just uh, absolutely terrifying just terrible um and yeah i just think that um again it comes back down to uh, the red flags the self awareness the self abandonment when we we stay too long and 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 whatnot but it sounds like in your experiences like there's a, and, and in your personal experience it sounds like there's a I had no other choice when you're feeling really cornered and trapped. So what did you do? Like, yeah, you had the perspective shift. You had like, you know, the revelation that your three sons, you're not demonstrating a good example to them, your one daughter. But from what it hit, what it's, what I'm hearing is that you, you had this, like, I have no other choice but to do this because I am a single mom. I have to do this. I have to put up with this. I have to tolerate this. When did you realize that needed to end. It, look, it was um, it was no epiphany. <laughs> it was a it was a gradual process, and I had to learn to respect myself again, because I think what happened to me and what happens to many of the women that we speak to is that they lose their sense of self. And if you get told often enough that you're useless or that you've got no value or no talent or shut up because you've got nothing worthwhile to say, you'll start to believe that yourself. So it becomes really difficult to say, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm out, because you start thinking, well, I don't deserve anything better. And and I do think that a lot of women are in that predicament. It's like, I'm going to stay here because, well, you know, what can I do? And, you know, do I deserve anything better? He's told me often enough that I'm useless. I probably am. And, you know, I think this is when where we kind of try and come in because families get so sick of saying, get out, just leave him. He's an idiot, you know, like he's abusive. You, You shouldn't be there. And friends do the same thing. And sooner or later, friends and family will say, you know what, I've had enough. You know, you're on your own. If you choose to do this stupid thing and stay. But every single person's journey, I hate that word, but, you know, every single person's journey is different and 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 longer or shorter than others. And until you actually can restore that sense of self and and courage, get the courage to find your voice in my language, um, you're going to stick there, you know. Um, I have this lady I met a couple of years ago who had been in a toxic marriage for 30-odd years and she never really wanted to marry him, she said, and she kind of like just went with the flow and, and okay, we're married and, oh, we bought a house and, oh, we had a kid and, oh, then we had another one and was never happy. And the abuse got worse and worse over years. And when I when I met her, she she said, "Oh, look, I'm I'm kind of okay." She said, "I'm I'm not I'm not I've sort of left." And I said, "What does sort of left mean?" And she said, "Well, she said I do I'm still at home. I'm still at the place, but I, I do all the things: wash and cook and iron and you know clean and stuff." But then at the end of the day, after I've washed up the dinner dishes, I go out to the backyard and I sleep in a tent that I've put up in the backyard. And she said, that's the only time of the day that I feel safe. So in, you know, you you sort of look at that situation and think, well, that's just dumb, you know, like here's a woman in the middle of winter sort of going out from a perfectly good home where he's sitting up and enjoying himself and she goes outside to sleep in a tent and then the way she described it was you know her whole body relaxes when she goes outside she's got a doona and a pillow and a good book and a torch and it's her place of sanctity and and relaxation anyway but everyone else thought she was an idiot because she stayed you know just get out just go how hard can it be but it was hard. It was super hard. 
And so what we did was not much except for giving her uh, a platform to share what was going on in her life and to debrief her week. So we set her up with, we do a phone support service. So do you want us to ring up and check in on you, see how you're going, check check in and see what the week's been like. If it's been good, fabulous. If it hasn't been good, let's talk about it. And she said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And so we did that for 12 months, I guess. And then one day she said, you know, it's time. And I said, okay, what are we going to do? And she said, I've just got to look for somewhere and I've got to figure out if I've got the money to get out. So we took her into Centrelink to start with and, you know, asked them about eligibility for benefits post-separation. And then we thought, okay, that's, that's a certain amount of money that she can get every fortnight. So then we start to look at a budget and say, okay, what can we afford in terms of rent and stuff like that? And I said to her, where would you, where, where do you think you might like to live? And she said, I want to live in a forest. And it was just like that, quick as. Been living in suburbia for the last 30 years. She wants to live in a forest. We found her a cabin in the hills and she moved in there and now she's teaching herself pottery and painting and arts and crafts and she's free you know like so I guess my point is it's everybody's time is different you know some women have that I've got to get out you know like I can't do this anymore but some women take 33 years um and you've got to be there you've got to be there during that time so that so that they can they can feel respected that that you're dignifying them with their decisions, regardless what their decisions are. You know, we have we you have to park your judgment. You know, you have to you have to park your opinions about what's happening in in a person's life and say she's making these decisions for all sorts of reasons which are right for her. Mm. And if we if we provide that support for her, eventually she gets the courage because she knows she's got someone in her corner. Yeah, you know, I think that's half of it. Half, you know, so many women just isolate themselves and feel lonely, and you know, this silence and not having a voice in my language is like super oppressive. If you feel you're, you know, alone in the world and you can't can't get out, you 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 literally paralysed. Mm, we have a lady yeah. that we have a lady. I I text. I've, I've texted this lady for two years. Never ever spoken to her. Because she said, don't ring me, don't ring me, because he monitors. And can you come down and have a chat to us at, at our van because we do outreach? And she said, no, 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 there's CCTV cameras all the way around the house. Wow. And he knows if I act. It's like some crazy, crazy stuff that's going on. He knows if what? Like if she leaves the house, he just watches? Yep, yep. And if the kids go out, um, he quizzes the kids about where she's been, what she's done, um, and she's and and I and I and I text her like, as I said, I've never actually heard her voice, um, and I text her maybe every couple of weeks, and then and then she doesn't text me back. Nothing. Oh, you know, she I'm a nuisance to her, but I keep doing it because she hasn't told me not to. And um, every now and again, she comes back to me and she says, thank you for not giving up on me. And I think, okay, that's going to keep me going for another two years. Mm. It takes me 10 seconds to send a text to say, how are you going? That's the reason connection is so important. I, I had a woman ring me a month ago. It was like 10.30 at night and we talk about, I tell volunteers to keep their boundaries you know turn your phone off don't don't give people your phone numbers but I you know it's do what I say not what I do anyway, this, <laughs> this, this gorgeous woman rang me um at 10 35 p.m I was just about to go to sleep and I saw the phone I saw who it was and I thought do I or don't I and I thought if I don't I'm not going to be able to sleep because I'm going to worry that it's, you know, a crisis. So I picked up the phone and she's whispering, what's going on? Are you okay? She said, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just hiding under the bedclothes. I said, what did you ring me for? And she said, 
I just wanted to say good night to somebody nice. Mm. I just cried. Yeah, wow. That's heartbreaking. Yeah, but I, I, I've got confidence that she'll go, you know, that if I if if we stay there for her and um and she knows she's got someone nice in her life sometime or other. But I can't force her and nobody can force her. Yeah, that's the thing about these situations is that like it's such a psychological thing, the attachment, the when somebody has completely pulled someone apart to that point of fear for their life, if they were to leave, there's so much, you know, am I worthy of being away from this person? You know, the self, mm. the self-loathing that comes with the self-doubt and the, the criticism and the belittling and the battering and all of it. Mm completely breaking somebody and it's made a lot worse at the moment um sam by the lack of options because you know i've sat with women and and rung 50 or more emergency crisis accommodation centers boarding houses caravan parks to try and get accommodation affordable accommodation and 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 strike out i bought a lady a tent a few weeks ago, and then I started ringing caravan parks to say, I just need a piece of dirt for this woman to pitch a tent onto, you know, just no, can't get in, can't get, can't get anywhere with housing, with, you know, crisis support. It's absolute, uh, absolute, I've never seen anything like it in this country, the lack of affordable housing for people in this predicament or people who are experiencing homelessness. So not just not just women. Um, there's just nothing around. I've seen people on waiting lists waiting lists for social housing for 12 years. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've been approved for housing 12 years ago. Yeah, it's, it, it, we we and so you know if you're in a position of being in a home with your abusive partner, and then and you're faced with if I get out, there's nothing. There's nowhere for me to go. I don't have a family that I can go to or a friend's house that I can go to even. You know, that that that's that's paralyzing as well. Because the the, mm. the the lack of options. Yeah. The fear of like when you've got kids especially, but the fear of being on the streets. And then like you said at the beginning of this podcast, that's more appealing than being in that dynamic at home. Yeah, that's tragic. That's so. I don't believe anybody should be homeless in Australia. I've had that belief for a very long time, since a teenager, really, since my mum kind of like planted that seed in me. Um, we live in such a. Yeah, we live in such an interesting country. Do. yeah interesting probably the best way to describe it <laughs> uh yeah wow that's so full-on so full-on and it, it so you have volunteers that help you and support you and connect with these people is it particularly women or is it men and women yeah we we um we have about 160 volunteers um so I'm, I'm actually just in Sydney at the moment because we're launching a service down here in Sydney for, um, uh, well, it's actually on the 25th of November, which is International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women. So I thought it was an auspicious day to, to uh, launch a service that's about helping women. Was um, it the day? What was the, the 20th, day? 25th of November. November, yeah. Okay, yep. So we we predominantly focus our efforts on women, 
but the um, the pandemic kind of put paid to the complete gender focus because there's so many people that were in need um, that we that we met over the first six months of COVID that we just relaxed that focus. So we do go into places to help women specifically, like women's refuges or domestic violence organisations, to to provide support. But when we're in a public place, like you know, in a homeless shelter or outside, we set up outside Centrelink offices, for instance, and um, people in need, you know, what are you going to say? Not sorry, you're the wrong gender. Of course we're going to help where we can. Yeah, wow. That's that's epic. That's amazing that that's happening. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's like a fa- it's a fundamental issue, it sounds like. Like it's a foundational piece that it's got to come from a structural. That's what needs to change the education system, the um, also obviously like the housing system and everything like that. But the way that we approach, like going back to my story about when I was at school and it's like disconnecting people from society and it's like, I just remember this one kid. His name was Nick. I won't say his last name. And he was just known as the bully. He was known as like the wild card, outrageous. This was in primary school. And I just remember being fearful of him. Like everyone was fearful of him because he was Mm. so violent. He was so, and I'm just curious. I don't want to assume, but I'm just curious how teachers navigate that troubled kids who are coming from domestic violence homes because that's where the the children without sounding cliche are our future (laughs) you know that's where it begins that's where that's where the healing needs to that that's how we break the cycle yeah yeah that's how I think your earlier point was absolutely spot on about you know let's introduce into the school systems respectful relationship training you know or some sort of uh, uh, curriculum that that involves um, training pe- uh, training people in the right way to behave to each other, because yeah. the, you you see you see it everywhere. It doesn't it, domestic violence doesn't pick suburbs, so it's not as though it's just lower socioeconomic areas. It's everywhere. It's ridiculous, everywhere. and we are we can only break the cycle through the next generation. Yeah, but then that that's an interesting one as well because if it's the the main role model of a child is a parent and so you know we can teach people we teach kids all we like but if I, I spent a lot of time in Cambodia and I got fixated about the you know the the spread of disease and malnutrition oh we did this exercise where we we uh, assessed kids against um, World Health Organization standards because they were, and you know, ninety percent of the kids that we surveyed were underweight and under height norm norms for, according to the World Health Organization, mm. and their and their their health and their diet and their tr- treatment at home was like you know like no- nothing we would experience. So I thought, oh, you know, I can go out in my white charger and start doing something about this. And I, and I, so I started thinking, you go into the schools and there's one toilet, you know, like one toilet among 300 kids and there's no soap. And so there's no, no facilities to, um, you know, have proper hygiene. So I thought oh, I'll start with something basic and start teaching kids how to wash their hands. So I, I was staying in a hotel and I knocked off all of the, you know, those free bar, bars of soap. I went to the, all those trolleys and started to pinch those from the hotel, took them to this particular school and started hand-washing lessons. And the wow. kids the kids, the kids, kids got amongst it. You know, they, they thought I was stupid. But, you know, like when do you wash your hands, you wash your hands, you know, when you get up in the morning. And I, I didn't speak Khmer and they didn't speak English. I had to do all this with sign language. You know, after you go to the toilet, you got to, you know, before you pull your pants up and, you know, you, you got to wash your hands before you have a meal and stuff like this. And wow. they got amongst it and took the bar of soap home. What do you think happens when they go home? Mum says, what's that? And the little Johnny says, it's a bar of soap. The teacher told me I should wash my hands before I have dinner. 
What do you want to do that for? We've lived this way all our lives. What's she doing tell, trying to tell me how to parent my kid? It's exactly the same. Mm. So, you know, the school, this, absolutely we have a, an obligation in the school system to try and fix this. But you know, it has to come both ways because it's going to take generations to to move this along. We're doing the right things, you know. We're not just we're just not doing it fast enough for my liking. You know, the, 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 we're tabling discussions about domestic violence. We're tabling discussions about respectful relationships. We're criminalising coercive control, which I think is a bit of a joke because. Women don't recognise when they're in an abusive relationship, never mind what coercive control is. How is that even? You know, and how am I gonna pick it and therefore, you know, get a get a get police involved because it, I'm being coerced? You know, there's there's mm. no there's gotta be education around that as well. Mm. Yeah. We have so many women that don't that don't call the police even when they're being physically abused because they're afraid that it's gonna exacerbate the situation and he's going to go one one more they're fearful of death yeah wow yeah i really like that and well that story which is a great like metaphor a symbolism of just yeah i mean it's so difficult it's so difficult to to kind of come up with a solution that is all encompassing and and that is there's all there's like little loopholes you know but what you're doing sounds like it's contributing to supporting people and I think that's the thing that um for any from what I'm hearing from you spending two years or three years or 12 months or two months whatever it is with somebody who's in an abusive relationship um, just to paraphrase what you've shared, you're not so much focusing on like trying to fix them and give them a solution. You're validating their experience until they feel ready to walk away. Yeah. Because that's all they're looking for is validation. But then when they're being met with their family and their friends who are like, oh, you know, you should just leave, you should just leave. That's the solution. It's not really helping them feel they're just being told what to do by somebody else outside their marriage or their relationship. Yeah. And they're like, it's, oh. it's a, yeah. yeah, it's a, it, it really is that, that piece of not deserting them and to, to like, to use your words, validate their perspective and their, and their decision because they, that there is a lack of confidence and a lack of self esteem. And by saying, you know, why aren't you leaving you know, being being judgmental about their position is only making things worse. It's only making their self esteem lower, and their you know inability to to make those decisions harder. It's it, you know mm. people are not going to make decisions if they not if they're not confident. And so if if you stay there with them to support, it, I reckon this pandemic of disconnection that I call it is solvable by connection. You know, imagine if we all took under our wing one or two people that were in this mm. this kind of predicament and just like, yeah, I got you back. You know, I'm with you, whatever you decide. Mm. And, and if, I don't, if I don't agree with your opinions, it doesn't mean that they're right or wrong, that my opinions are right or wrong. You know, like it, 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 it's, a, it's a case of uh, accepting people at face value and just supporting them the way through it. And and when yeah. the time is right, the, the the person will know that oh my god, you know, I've got someone that I know I can rely on. If I fall over, I'll get help to get back up again. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So the vaccine, That's the vaccine, the, the vaccine for 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 this pandemic of disconnection is not in a syringe somewhere and you don't have to keep it in the fridge or it doesn't have to be administered by medical professionals. It, it can be administered by all of us and it's just connection. You know, I, I just say it's unlimited boosters of connection and, and that'll help. That'll help. Yeah. Connection's an antidote to a lot of things. There's a guy out there talking about that being on Ted talk. He did a Ted talk. Feel like somebody whoever's whoever's on TED, you know, they get an instant like verification. But um, 
Yeah, he spoke into a really great idea um, about connection being the antidote to addiction. And it, that, it almost feels like that is what's playing out in the relationships as well. There's like a codependency. I mean, obviously my mind goes there because this is what I do. I'm just like fascinated by the the psychology, the the behavioural parts of it. Um, so, yeah, it just sounds like you're bang on the money there, offering people that. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you another little story. I've got this lady who... Um, I just adore her. She, I met her a couple of years ago and she she was in a real mess and she was sitting in the gutter and um, I went and sat alongside her and I said, what's the matter? She was just crying her eyes out. And she said, and I, I will have to delete the um, swear words that she uses, but but she said, I just am done. She said, I, I, I can't go on. There's nobody that's in my corner. And I... I'm sitting here with no money, I'm drunk and it's 8 o'clock in the morning and I haven't even got any pants on. So she's sitting there with this long singlet and she's, you know, she she has just in few sentences told me about her absolute lack of dignity. Mm. And so I, she really impacted me because she was so terribly sad and I took her phone number. I said, would you mind if I gave you a call every now and again? And she said, that would be great. So I, during the week I, I I sent her a text and said, I don't know if you remember me, but you met me on Tuesday. And um, I just, you've been in my mind ever since, and I, I hope you're having a good week. And she came back aggressively and said, what do you mean I wouldn't remember you? You're the only person that's ever sat next to me when I've been drunk in the gutter and talked to me like I was a human being. So the next wow. week, I the next week I, I managed to grab a few, uh, like a little packet of those cheap undies that you get in Coles or uh, Big W or somewhere. And I, I saw her and, and I put them in a bag and I said, I've just got a bit of a present for you. And I just put them alongside. I didn't want to embarrass her. And she looked in the in the bag and saw what I'd done and she was just like nobody's ever done anything like that for me before anyway fast forward she she loves drinking and she's like loves being an alcoholic it like defines her she's one of these amazingly happy drones anyway got to the point where she thought I've got to do something because I'm going to kill myself um and um I I'll, I'll, I'll cut out a few bits of the story because it'll take another couple of hours, but she decided she was going to give it away. And um, all, all I do is check in. I might see her once every maybe four months, I guess. Mm. And uh, But she fascinates me to, to know her story. And anyway, I got, the, I got a, a text message from her the other day and she said, 365 days without a drink, Joe. Oh, my God. You, wow. Like, what a, an amazing victory. And I so mm. rang her and I, and I said, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. And and she said, yeah, yeah, I'm never going back. It just made her into a, a ferocious, aggressive female, happy sometimes, but then the reverse other times. And uh, I'm just proud of her. And you know, look, as I said, I've done nothing much except be, you know, say good day and and be, you know, lack of judgment is a big thing. You know, that's just not showing that you disapprove. Mm. And you know, pe- people in these sort of predicaments have got great bullshit radar. You know, they mm-hmm. they can pick it. They can pick it if you're not real, and they can pick it if you're patronising, and they'll just wipe you. But if you're genuine yeah. and you know, sit in the gutter with them and have a chat and you know there's no no judgment you're just hanging out it's um mm. you have, a, you know, have some amazing conversations with people I wouldn't want to do anything else to be honest yeah wow it sounds like it's so fulfilling for you yeah, yeah. Do you, it's confronting it's, it's confronting, confronting but it's a lot to hold it's a lot to hold like do you have that balance in your in your life to take time for yourself when you're 
you know, giving so much to give back to yourself? I get asked this question all the time. I don't have any great answers for it because, you know, you 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 get taught about, you know, self-care and there's this thing called vicarious trauma when you're taking on other people's traumas. And um and I I always poo-hooed it, but it's it's real. Like it, it's definitely real. Mm. I get to the end of the week sometimes and I think my head's gonna explode with with mm. stories. Or I think about who was it that I saw on Monday? I can't even remember now. There have been so many. And I get overwhelmed sometimes with the sheer enormity of the problem. And mm. I'm scratching the surface, let me tell you. I'm just literally scratching the surface. So you, you, you just, you, you, if you let your brain open up to the enormity of people's issues in this predicament, when I'm only dealing with one tiny little corner of the country, um, it does get you down. But then I have um, I have a partner who lives near a beach. Mm. I have a beautiful dog. You know, like I, I can use those sort of strategies to exit that world, but I'm busting to get back into it by the same token. You know, like I, mm. I can't, I, I do, I do enjoy it. I, as I said before, I'd much prefer to be sitting hearing a, lady's story like that than sipping lattes and working out the colour of my nail polish. It's so beautiful. It sounds like you're just like, the word angel comes to mind, but I know that just sounds so cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's actually really beautiful to, to, um, yeah, Carrie, it's, you sound like such a generous person with your time, which is just incredible. And it takes a lot to to hold that, you know, like to be able to show up and and do that work. It's not for the faint-hearted at all. And I think that's really important to acknowledge and recognise that people that do do this work, uh, yeah, holding a lot. It's a, it's a lot to support people who are in these predicaments. Mm. You meet some great people, like apart from the people that we meet that um, use our service or that we, we call partners, we, we we don't call them customers or, you know, like I hate that word, it just sort of symbolises some transaction that you're selling them something or whatever, but mm. um, our partners are amazing people to, to interact with, but so too are the volunteers. I think that, you know, I've met the best friends I've ever met in this sort of job because people... Um, come to do this for the right reasons you know they really want to mm. help others and you know we, the, 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 there's uh, I had I had a coffee yesterday with half a dozen volunteers who are signing up for the the Sydney uh, experience that we're about to launch and I got to the end of it and I was so pumped you know because I had all these girls that were um, there were only women yesterday. We do get men, male volunteers too, but um, they're so so interesting as people mm. and so 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 coming to this for the right reasons that they just give a damn about other people. You know, it's not just about their own little world and their own sort of set of circumstances that you can fulfil your life with. It's um, they want to help others, and I, I really respect that. It's nice nice to hang out with people like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing you in that. I feel that a lot. Um, so tell your viewers, come, or your audience, come volunteer with Joe. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's equally fulfilling as much as it is, you know, like, it's inspiring just listening to you speak about all the experiences you've had, you know, and I think that, like, yeah, I'm, I'm already thinking, like, how can I contribute? How can I help? What can I do? So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all those incredible stories. And um, I'm going to, is there any, anything else you want to add before we finish up? Um, I think I've probably bored your audience enough, but um, I am obviously a young charity that's um, only successful because of generous volunteers and donors. And um, I um, I want to do. I want to do more of this. As I said to you, I'm, I'm scratching the surface. We're in Brisbane. We're in Sydney. We have we have volunteers as far away as Perth and Tasmania, doing mm-hmm. phone support, checking in on people. 
Um, and as I say, I reckon if we had people that were happy to donate a bit of their time, um, we could solve a lot more of these problems because I do believe the answer is in connection. And if you don't have time, throw mm -hmm. money. I don't mind that either. So. Yeah, I really like that. What I like, I don't know if it just sounds like, yeah, it's just such a beautiful thing to be offering people, such an incredible thing to be offering people. I just had an idea. I get ideas all the time and they're just kind of like, yeah. And the idea is that, you know, like there's a lot of, I've got a lot of friends who are at home being moms and kind of have almost sort of like lost their sense of purpose in a way because they're just preoccupied with being mom. And to be able to just send a text message to someone just sounds like a really fulfilling experience for somebody who might be in that position who's just, you know, chilling at home and kind of, I don't know. I'm planting the seed of that idea. <laughs> um, gotcha. Yeah, but there's so many, you know, there's so many limitless possibilities of how you can um, connect with people. It sounds like you've got different levels. You know, people can either send a text message. How, how can your volunteers work with people? What are the multiple ways that you have? Um, well, by phone or face-to-face, -face. The, the outreach service we have is really, like, raw and because we are literally on the streets um, mm. talking to people and the and the excuse for being there is the technology that's in the van, you know. So if you've got an issue with technology or if you, you know, want to use our um, mobile phones or, or laptop computers or printers or whatever, that's the kind of excuse for being there and we problem-solve for people using the technology so if you're homeless you know you you um you, we won't talk to you about counseling you know what, what what stupid idea would that be you want to basically go to the nub of the problem and say you're homeless you need food clothing shelter that's it you know like let's fi mm. fix the basic needs before we look at other things so when you're out there on the streets you're really trying to use the technology to solve solve problems so you come to me and you say, I've been unemployed for 12 months. Okay, so let's have a look at your resume. Let's see if we can make it better. Let's see if we can set you up with a SEEK account, do job applications. Let's, so you're really trying to sort of figure out what where a person is in their life um, and go, oh, yeah, I think that I don't have the answers, but let's jump onto Google and see if Google has the answers or, you know, a place where we can find some solutions. I think that's that that works really well. So, yeah, people that can help us with, um, you know, problem solving using technology, we, we, we're looking for volunteers all the time. Mm. But, yeah, I'd love to be I'd love to be in Melbourne um, with this service. I know that there's, yeah, as like I said, it, Domestic violence and homelessness doesn't pick suburbs. Um, we we really uh, could do a lot more, and and it, and it only takes people oh. getting behind us. Um, um, yeah, lots of money and, mm. and generous souls, really. And I, I, I do find people want to help. It's people want to help. It's just like how do that? How do we help? You give them a job and they'll do it. No worries. You know, like people after the Queensland floods mobilise into action as soon as you say, right, we need to have this house clean or this food prepared or whatever, people will do it. But it's like, I don't know what to do. How do I fix this? How does little old me contribute um, mm. once they're given a job? And I think that's all I'm trying to do is is, is amass an army of yeah. people who can connect. Well, I'm originally from Melbourne and I know that I have a lot of followers on my socials from Melbourne. So anybody listening who is from Melbourne and you feel inspired and you have any form of connections or you want to donate, please do so. <laughs> I think about Chapel Street and it's full on. Chapel Street, the city. Like I live in, I live around Noosa and I'm like, this is such a white, like a white state. First of all, Queensland's very white. There's not a lot of culture, and I don't mean that in a for it to sound. It's just a very. It, it's interesting coming from Melbourne that that that's so multicultural. But also, what I notice is that the the demographic here there's like no homelessness whatsoever. And I'm curious about what happens to people who are in domestic violence situations, like they can't even turn to the streets because 
that's not that's not acceptable here. It's very like um, just the Truman Show kind of vibes. And Melbourne is such a contrast. I see. I was in Melbourne just recently, and I was at this event, and I went across the road to get some chopsticks, and there was a man sitting on the corner, and he was, you know, I smiled at him, and I always do acknowledge people. Um, and there's always just that part in my mind where I'm just like, oh, I, I, you know, I want to be able to help. I want to be able to give this person something. Um, is there any kind of way of connecting a homeless person, if, for example, me being in that situation, two, four voices, having a chat um, with them or? Yeah, that's that's obviously through our website and um, we have uh, we, we somebody in Melbourne we would support by phone at the moment. That's mm, the only option yeah. that we would have. Um, there are lots and lots of homelessness services in in and around Melbourne. Um, that's, uh, yeah, the problem is housing again. But I, yeah. I do find that the vast majority of people um, just want to be acknowledged and if you sit with a person that's homeless and talk and have a chat to them, it's like, you know, you're dignifying that person with your presence and your, you know, communication, and that mm. that can be as much as I don't. I don't actually open my own wallet to people that are in that predicament because I don't think that's doing anything other than appeasing my conscience that I've got money and they don't. Ah, oh, yeah. I, but if, you know, so I feel I, if if you sit down with somebody and have a chat and find out what's going on in their life, it's like I never come away feeling that it was a wasted amount of time. You know, I always think, wow, that person's got an extraordinary um, life that he or she has led and isn't it worthy of being listened to. What are some um, questions? I know, yeah, what is one final question I have for you is what are two questions somebody who wants to sit with a homeless person, what are two questions that they can open with? in the conversation that's yeah what oh, what they should ask that person yeah yeah um i would be very um low-key and say g'day and how's how, how's your day what's going on for you today um isn't it you know i can start with any kind of general conversation starter that you would use to anybody the these people might look different to you and they might have had different life experiences to you, but all, underneath they're all the same. Mm. So it's like what 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 floats your boat, you know, what are you interested in today? My God, did you see the 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 result of that football game yesterday? Or God, Melbourne puts on the shit weather, doesn't it? Like I don't know what it is. It's just to be natural. And Bad you can't, yeah, there have got to be conversation starters that feel right for you. Yeah. Um, but I, but I definitely be you know at an open position and open stance and and sit rather than stand over the top or have you know like mm, and if, I, yeah. It's it's all it really is body language is really super important um, in this kind of engagement. And if you're dressed in your you know designer clothes and this person that's 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 in front of you is not, that's going to create a, a barrier. You know, yeah. we always. Go out with you know a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and um, we're we're just trying to be you know as normal as and and non-judgmental as possible. It it really is about being accepting and being being non-judgmental. We see people that are too scared or embarrassed to go into to cross the threshold into buildings. You know that even though they know that they can potentially get help from a doctor's surgery or a mental health practitioner or drug and alcohol rehab or Centrelink or legal aid or any of those to mm. get to get the courage to walk across the threshold to to do that is really difficult for some. Um, and it is because of embarrassment or fear or shame sometimes. Mm. And so we often say, how about we walk in with you? We know Fred in there who's a really great guy and I'll introduce you, you know, just to take that, that um, soften the 
the pain of it. You know, we, you, mm. you, you, you see women who are in traumatic situations and then they have to, in order to get help, they have to be asked 50 questions about their situation. So you know what's this? What's the trauma? What's the what's the domestic violence? When did he last touch you? When did he last? When you know what's your relationship? You know all of these questions that um, are invasive and triggering. You know, mm. like so you go from one service to another service to another service, and you have to answer the same questions over and over again. You're reliving that trauma every time you ask the questions. Mm. So to have yeah. somebody beside have somebody beside you that says, um, "Let me help you," you know, like let me help soften the soften mm. that conversation. Or you know, sometimes we'll type out this story and say, "Next time somebody wants to hear your story, give them the piece of paper and say, here, son, read this.' And if they if, if you need any more information, then ask me the question." I get so indignant about the way people get asked questions that you or I would never even consider responding to because it's so invasive mm. yeah 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 wow thank you for that that's a very big aha moment because there's that like curiosity in the part of us that wants to save that person but like not having the skills or the tools to do it in a way that is um yeah, that, that is invasive sometimes to ask somebody, what got you here? How did you get here? It's like the, you said something earlier, which is really cool. They'll, they'll eat you up and spit you out because they know if you're genuinely there because you want to have a chat with them or not, <laughs> if you're being patronising. Yeah. 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 Thank you so I, much. I that, oh, no, no, my pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed chatting too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on this uh, episode. It's been such an incredible, incredibly like informative, educational conversation about what's happening in Australia. And I hope people listening are feeling inspired like I am right now to support you in any which way we can. So I'll include all of your links and connect like the ways to connect with you in the bio for anybody listening. Thanks, oh, thank you. I really appreciate any support and, and um, great that you have such an amazing audience to, to share this kind of message to. Um, good on you for doing it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'll catch you on the next episode.